0: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And in today's episode, I'm really excited to be talking with Steve Sims, a man whose name I'll never forget because he shares mine. Steve describes himself as an ugly kid from the outskirts of London who wasn't born into the world of luxury. But I I can tell you, he is certainly uh, living in that world right now. He's the founder of Bluefish. They're one of the top personal concierge services, and he is an expert marketer within the luxury industry. Uh, He's been quoted in publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, the London Sunday Times, South China Morning Post, and a whole lot more. He's been on TV, been a speaker all over the place, including at the Pentagon and Harvard. And uh, he is the guy that you're going to call if you want to go sing on stage with your favorite rock star. If you want to be serenaded by uh, Andre Bocelli, if you want to walk the red carpet with A-list Oscar uh, parties and and I mean he the stories are just incredible the things that he has pulled off for his clients and so I'm really really excited to have uh, Steve Sims here Steve welcome to the Unstoppable CEO podcast.
1: Um, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the buildup.
0: <laughs> it's quite it really is quite amazing the things that you're able to accomplish and. Uh, And one of the reasons that I'm excited for you to be here is that uh, I really do think you kind of epitomize this idea of unstoppability. I mean, you're famous for not taking no for an answer. So um, before we really dive into things, maybe you can give folks a little bit more background, a little bit of context to how how you got started and and how you built up Bluefish and kind of got to this point.
1: Oh, dear. Okay. well, so any credibility that I gained in the first 30 seconds of the show, I'm just about to lose. Um, (laughs) I was a bricklayer from uh, just outside of London. Um, I knew that it never wanted to. I never wanted to do it. My whole family were in the construction industry, including my mum. So I knew I didn't want to do that. Friends of mine in the 80s were getting into this banking and insurance and all this kind of stuff, and I managed somehow. Don't ask me how to talk my way into getting a uh, internship as they exported 200 people from England over to Hong Kong with a bank. Um, I actually got caught up in that crowd. I I landed on the Saturday, parted with the guys on the uh, Saturday, parted with them on Sunday, went to orientation on Monday, and I was fired on Tuesday. They realized that this cocky little Irish boy from London had blagged his way into this job at the ripe old age of like 19. (laughs) Didn't know what he was doing. So they fired me and then I started working on the door in uh, nightclubs in Hong Kong um, because I am 230 pound of ugly and it was what God obviously built me for. Um, From there, I actually thought, well, okay then. I never saw it as a failure. I thought, well, I've got this far. So what's next? So I thought if if I kind of communicate with like the affluent people because let's be blunt, poor people don't buy stuff. Affluent people buy stuff. So – If I started building up a network of affluent people within Hong Kong, I could get a job with them. So on the door, I used to just turn people away, going, not tonight, walk down the road, speak to Johnny, tell them Sim sent you, he'll look after you. And then I started throwing my own parties. Then I started taking over yachts and throwing events on there. Then people would say, hey, I'm going to Monaco. This is a serious but funny one. Someone said to me once, I'm going to the Monaco Grand Prix. Can you help me out? I went, no problem. And this was in the 90s. I went back to my apartment, phoned up some people to try and find out where Monaco was. (laughs) So to say that I was a world travel, I'd gone, I'd never left England. My first time out of England, I was in Hong Kong. So everything was new and shiny to me. But I was so, it was one of those things I had nothing to lose. I was also ignorant to how uneducated I was. So nothing kind of scared me too much. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, great. And so I just went on with that vein as I started doing stuff and I would approach people and just go, Hey, I need this. I need it tonight. I need it for four people at eight o'clock. Do you want them to be there at five to eight? Or do you want them to be there at 15 minutes past eight? And so the way I just approached people, people would be like, Oh um, uh, yeah, quarter past eight is fine. Great. They'll be here. Put that name down Sims. So I would just come in like a bull in a China shop and started to build up these things. And the f- the funny thing is, the more things you do, the more things you're able to do. So it starts off by getting people into good clubs. Then it starts getting them into good locations. Then it starts getting them into A-list parties. Then the A-listers start imploring you to do things for them and plan that travel, um, get them Ferraris, get them uh, uh, exclusive watches, get them uh, new releases on things. And then all of a sudden it transforms into the bucket list of I want to go and see the Titanic. I want to get married in the Vatican. I want to ride pillion on a MotoGP bike. And again, every time you do something, it gives you the credibility to do something bigger and bolder next time. So that's it in a nutshell. Bricklayer to walk in the white carpet with Elton John every year.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I think that it's an impressive story. But the most important (laughs) thing I think you just said was when you lost that job on day one, you didn't look at that as a failure. You just said, hey, I made it this far. What's next? Um, not, it, you know, not everybody takes that approach to it. I think that's a pretty unique way to look at things. Um, and, and it sounds like that's been a, a theme for you. So, you know, we're talking, the people who are listening right now are, are business owners, generally pretty successful business owners. They've been slogging through it for, you know, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years. Um, and, and I call that group unstoppable. Because they, you know, they they they've been through some stuff. They they've got the battle scars to prove it. What are what are some of the things that have helped you push through as you've you've run into those roadblocks? Um, you know, some things that you can share with the folks listening that that'll inspire them and help them move forward.
1: Well, obviously we're all we're all educated, whether or not school has had anything to do with it. But the school of hard knocks has kind of made us go up and down. I remember being from a construction family. My dad always said to me, the fight's not over when I go down, son. It's when I stop getting up. And he, without realizing it, he actually channeled my mind to, there's no such thing as failure. It's just feedback on what not to do. Um, And it wasn't until I got older that, you know, maturity steps in, you start to notice that. I'm a great motorcycle fanatic, and I collect bikes. I remember talking to a motorcycle a technician at a MotoGP race in Austin, and I'm looking at all these parts, and I said, "Oh, you know, what are you looking for? And are you looking? You're looking for more power. You're looking for greater braking, greater stability." And he literally turned around to me, and I, I realized I can get perspective out of anyone in the world that I can take into my industry and my life. The guy, without skipping a beat, turned around. And he said, "We're looking for the point of failure." And I said, "Sorry." He said, once we can find what breaks, we can fix that. Then the stability, the speed, the brake that will all come. But we're looking for the point of failure so that we can repair that and go on further. And I remember that was with me without realizing it so eloquently that I never ever looked at falling over as a problem. I just looked at it as, okay, shouldn't have done that. I'm now smarter. And we're all established business. You just told me everyone's here, been in business. So we've all been screwed over. We've all lost contracts. We've all lost money. We've all, you know, had major problems. We've all been waking up at six o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, how do I pay that bill? We've all been through that. And if we were incredibly intelligent, sensible people, we would stop there and go and get a job and work for someone. But we're not that breed. Without realizing it, every single one of us uses that energy and that passion and that failure to realize we can overcome something and then when that problem comes up again we're able to turn around and go we did it before it's no longer an issue
0: yeah you know it's it's interesting when i'm around business owners entrepreneurs the the conversations that that are had are completely different than when i happen to be around people who um you know still have a job. And this, this sense that for the entrepreneurs, like it's, we're always on the edge. You know, it's like, we're, we're always just kind of one step away from, you know, the next disaster, the next shoe falling, but living with that, it makes you think a little bit differently. Makes you think a little bit, like I think um, a little bit broader about how am I going to, like, where are my exits? If stuff doesn't quite go right in this one, what's the next step? How am I going to fix that? How am I going to overcome it? So, um, you know, Steve, you've done some incredible things. I, you know, as I was looking down the list of the things that you have pulled off, I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, this guy is, he's seeing things on a different plane. Um, you know, he's, he's, It seems to me that you see opportunities to make something happen, or at least you just got the energy to push through every obstacle that there is. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the secret. But uh, to have that kind of vision of like somebody calls up and goes, yeah, I want to have uh, my wedding in the Vatican. Like, where do you even begin to to start to pull that off?
1: Well, the first thing to do is get it off that pedestal. I meet so many people that actually come up with the same kind of question as yourself and they go, oh, you you did this with Sting? you did this with with the pope oh my god how did you reach it? and they are pushing the ability for it to actually happen further away because they've now put that putting on this pedestal and they're putting blocks on top of that pedestal put it this way you want to get married in the vatican okay that's a brilliant big picture and it's also an incredible thing but let's backtrack it a little second okay a wedding if someone said, put a wedding on, okay, you know you've got to get a wedding license, you know there's got to be caterers, and you know there's got to be photographers, you know there's got to be cl- So there, you can dissect what a wedding is. Forget the location. Okay, Vatican. Take the word Vatican out of it and call it a church or a venue. All of a sudden, you de it. And I've never used that term before, and I know <laughs> it's probably not a real word. But, you know, just... Just stop getting scared of it and just bring it back to what it is. You see a superstar that's talented? Great. But that superstar is also a human being of blood and sweat and probably gets a ton of people can like crawling up his backside every time. Is already guarded. You put them on a pedestal, you push them further away. So the Vatican is another one of those examples. It was a wedding request in a venue. And if you de-glorify it like that, you can go, okay, I can contact a venue. And what I did first, and I always do this, I do one thing. And so people, people look at it and they look at the big picture. And I'm a, I'm a great big picture person as well. But they go, oh, how do I start this? Well, it's very simple. You make a phone call. And I do this with absolutely everything I do. I'm going to make a phone call now to get me one step closer to this happening than I was two minutes ago. My only question needs to be is, who's my first phone call with? Okay, the church? Right, so I need to phone someone Catholic, or I need to phone my local church, or I need to phone someone in Rome, or I wonder if there's a phone number for for the Vatican. I need to make one phone call to get me one step closer. And you said to me earlier something about, I don't take no for an answer, okay? I became, and I don't know if this is the East London in me or the Irish lad, I don't ask you a question that you can give me no. Do you remember I told you about uh, the example of me getting a table? And yeah.
0: in fact, for I- And
1: people to turn up. Did you want- Yeah,
0: you, you, you offered two that? times. I, I noticed that.
1: Yeah, when I want something, I don't go forward and go, hey, I need this. How much is it gonna cost? Because no one wants to be sold, okay? No one wants to be sold, no one wants to be bought. I also don't go forward and go, hey, I want this to happen. Can it happen? I go to someone and say, hey, how are you? My name is Susan. I want to talk to you about something that's going on, and I need to understand what needs to go, what steps we need to go through to make this happen. So I've never, I've got really good at not answering a question where you can answer no, unless no is the answer I want you to give. Now, we had we had a client that wanted to have dinner in Florence, and his only, his only request to me was it's got to be an exclusive restaurant. So we took over the academia in Florence, which houses Michelangelo's David, set a table of six up and had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade him halfway through dinner. Now, when I went to those people, I did the exact same thing. What steps do we need to do? Halfway through my conversation, then I, I said to them, I've got to ask, have you done this before? And then they were like, no, we haven't. And that's when you can jump on that no to get on that pedestal and go, fantastic. Isn't this great that we're actually doing something that's never been done before? Can you feel that? And that's when the no actually becomes uh, fuel to make it come forward, getting them into the passion, getting them into the challenge, getting them into the remarkable aspect of what they're doing now is, is, is a change. different, has never been done before. And people like to do stuff that's never been done before. They just don't like you coming in and buying it or pushing it. And they want to be the ones to make the decision.
0: I love that. And What I appreciate so much about this, one of the things that that we try and, and really focus on is making things incredibly practical for people because it's really easy for somebody to come on and have this really grand theory of how things work. But but I mean, with what you just shared there, I mean that's a that's a million dollar thought that just about anybody can take. And well, you
1: you've seen, you know what I look like, you know what I am. So I'm I'll go toe to toe with anyone when they go. oh, you you had parents with money. Oh, you came from Harvard and stuff like. That. I remember when I spoke at Harvard, and I was I was kind of like sweating. I'm sitting in this auditorium with everyone staring at me, and I'm thinking. I didn't go to college. I left school when I was 15 years old and I had a little bit of a hang up about it until I realized, hang on, this gave me the edge because I know what it's like to fall down and to get up. And so I I actually think that any of these people out there that maybe have something where someone else can outshine them, you may be surprised that your inefficiency is actually your edge in winning that battle.
0: Yeah, I... this works on so many different levels um, with pe- people's mindsets. I mean, we in our work with clients in, in our main business, we work with professionals, people who are pretty highly educated, spend a lot of time, you know, in school. Sometimes, you know, four, five, eight, ten years in school, and then multiple years of training after that. And um, and then when they come out in business and they realize, wait, we didn't learn actually how to go sell anything or, or run a business. They end up finding us and we work with them. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the first thing that they've got to overcome is this sense that I don't yet know enough. I'm not, you know, I can't go out and do this. Um, it's it's amazing to me to see that happen in people who have gone through so many different things. And yet when we work with clients who, like you described, have kind of bootstrapped themselves up, um, it's almost always the opposite. And uh, and these are little mind tricks we play with ourselves that I think uh, I think really are are the biggest challenges to overcome. Um, And so I appreciate you you sharing that. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to be back with more from Steve Sims and uh, he's got some exciting stuff happening. I hope he's going to tell us about it. Hang on. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. All right. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon. We're here with the Unstoppable CEO Podcast, and I'm talking with Steve Sims, who is the founder of Bluefish. And Steve, um, I, this is we've had a ton of great interviews. Um, I can tell you already, this is one of my favorites. Uh, the, some of the, the simple things that you have shared with folks, if they just take these one or two little things and go do them, they're going to they're improve the results that they're getting both in their business and I think in, in life in general. Um, and I know you got, you've got some things happening, um, right now in, in your world, you've got a book that is out as people listen to this. Um, and, and I know probably a ton going on with bluefish. What are you most excited about right now?
1: Oh, wow. That's a massive question. Uh, life. Um, I'm always excited. I wake up in the morning. I never know what I'm going to be doing today, tomorrow. So I'm quite an excitable little fella. Um, But there is a lot going on. I've got Bluefish, which is obviously the high-end concierge firm. We've released a new one called Taste of Blue, um, which is uh, kind of like a taste of Bluefish for those people that don't need the bespoke treatment. But as you mentioned it, in about 10 years of of different kind of formats, finally Simon Schuster have produced a book, published a book for me. Um, And we wanted to make it – it got to the stage where – I wanted to produce a book that actually gave you easy steps. There's a lot of books out there that give you the aha moment and, oh, you've got to do this and you've got to tweet five times. As a blunt instrument, this kind of worked his way up in working out what works, what doesn't. I wanted to put a book together that taught you how to communicate, how to react to to, uh, communication and build relationships. I'm a great believer in screw Bitcoin, relationships are the greatest currency in the world. And through relationships, you can get anything. Um, I want to teach people how to fire their vampires, audit their circle to get rid of those that are negative, and how to discover that negative, and really how to identify a brand uh, and a structure that is easy to use and to stop putting these shields up, which take effort. So really, it's a hell to for dummies to live your life easier for you to achieve relationships, connections, networks. And I talk about in there everything about how to reach a celebrity to how to brand a florist. So it really is a dynamic crossboard of my simple how-to steps. And at the back of every chapter, it even gives you a playlist on, okay, I did this at the Vatican. I followed these 12 steps, but you can follow those steps if you want to nurture a relationship with a significant other. Maybe that that other that you haven't discovered yet. You know, position yourself to find that other. So I'm really excited about it.
0: Yeah, well and and I think uh, you know well deserved the the bits and pieces of it that that uh, I've seen and I know as we record this it's not quite out yet but it will be by the time folks listen to it um and I've already pre-ordered it on Amazon. I'm looking forward to it. But the bits and pieces that you've shared um are are incredibly practical. And uh and and that's one of the things that that I'm really looking forward to with it. But you said something really important there. And I think this is a mistake that a lot of people make. I mean the The first natural question when you're trying to accomplish anything, whether it is, you know, I want to go and and make my spouse feel great today or it's, you know, I'm trying to do this major business deal. The first natural question is, how do I do that? But I actually think the better question is, who do I need to talk to to get closer to it? Uh, And I think when you can identify that, it makes everything so much easier. And, um, and I appreciate you highlighting that in the book. What are some of the things people could take away if they, you know, they're, they're looking at making, making this shift and really focusing on relationships. What are a few little tips that they can take away that will improve what they're doing with the people in their network?
1: Well, the first thing they've got to do is they've got to sap out those that are no good in that network. Um, You've got to basically turn around and go, is there anyone that I talk to, (coughs) whether it be my accountant, my printer, my plumber, um, my girlfriend, my CEO, CFO? Is there anyone in this circle that gets me negative, that gets me aggravated? Because without you realizing it, that person will annoy you. Your persona changes, your effort level changes to. You know, comply or to work with them or to mold. I, mean, I don't want to get rid of that person. They're a good earner, but my God, they annoy me. What happens is you then go to your next person carrying over some of that negativity, and it is a cancer. I can't dilute that. I can't make that strong enough. It's a cancer because the next person's going, well, Steve seems a bit off today, and you don't want people that you like thinking that. And if they think it two or three times, they start recoiling. They start pulling back, and that cancer grows. You lose a good person because of the bad person. If you get rid of the bad people out of your life, fire the vampires, as I call it in my book, you're only engaged with people that keep you positive. And it may sound hard, but I have fired literally my printers, my accountants, um, really good earners in the staff, and people have gone, Hang on a minute, this was one of your best earners. Yes, but it bothered me. So when I was bothered, I then talked to my favorite clients, angry, demotivated. Guess what? You fire them. Your finances may change for about a month, but guess what? It creeps up. Your level of enjoyment creeps up. And now every time you're speaking to someone, you want to converse with them. And when you want to do something, funny enough, there's no effort in it. And so that's the biggest thing I think get into your inner circle, find anyone. And there's little diagrams and stuff in there of how to do it. Find out those and negate you. And quite simply be harsh, cut them out because they are cancer. Don't, don't look at them as anything more than that. They will screw up every other part of what you're involved in.
0: You know, it, it's not the first time I've heard, heard that advice. Um, others have said similar things. And, and I know that if, for somebody sitting on the other end of, of this conversation and eavesdropping on us, the first thing they're going to go is, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And the next thing they're going to go is, oh my God, that's really, really hard. How do I do that? Um, and, uh, and, and I think I know the answer. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. What's, what's the way I don't, I, 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 was going to say, what's the easy way to do, it, but I don't think there's an easy way to do it. Um, I think the answer is you just do it. I mean, is that, is that the approach? Well, yeah,
1: because it makes me, it does actually make me giggle a little bit and it's all down to perspective. You're a business owner. You're looking after a community of clients, team, staff, your, your husband, your wife, you're, you're looking after a community and now you're going to get all soft and soppy because you're cutting out cancer. You know, you've really got to look at it, what it actually is. This is something that's affecting your productivity, your positive energy. Look at it as the dangerous, horrible thing that it is and get in there with a Band-Aid. No one cuts cancer out carefully or delicately or cares a damn about the cancer it's pulling out. You've really got to get that in your head that what you're getting rid of is something very horrible and disastrous. And it's got to be done quick. You go up there and you go – Jennifer, and I don't know anyone, Jennifer, so I picked on that name for that reason. <laughs> so you've got to go up, I can imagine one of my team going, my God, that's my name. Um, but you've got to go up there and go, Jennifer, thank you very much for your years, but you know it's not working here, and I've got to focus on the community that we got here. So, you know, I'll give you your two weeks. Wish you all the best. I'll give you a reference, but you need to go somewhere else because there's a fit for you somewhere else, not here. And you've got to go in there, and you've got to pull that thing off like a band-aid. Um, but you've always got to go in there remembering – the community that you're protecting. You wouldn't stick your family next to a nuclear waste dump. You just wouldn't do it. So I don't understand why you wouldn't look at the negativity in your life as exactly the same.
0: Yeah, and uh, I-, I couldn't agree more. Um, one of the things that that uh, we've made a, a practice of over the years is pruning clients. We've pruned um, you know, just business associates and you've described vendors and people like that. Um, and and sometimes you have to prune friends that, oh, yeah. you know, no longer, I mean, they're nice people and all that, but being around them is is toxic and, uh, and you know, and, and certainly employees. Um, in fact, I, for a long time, I was in a mastermind group with about 15 CEOs. And the number one issue that would come up in our group would be around employees, people that worked for for these other businesses. And we finally got to the point where we had a standing rule. Like if you were going to bring a people problem, that our standing advice was fire them. And if you came back with that same people problem again, we wouldn't listen to it unless you'd taken advice number one, because what we found after three or four years together as a group was that this was kind of the persistent problem and it never resolved through any other means. That once that, you got to a point where the relationship wasn't working anymore and there was negativity there, it was almost impossible to overcome that. And uh, and, and really, the, the only solution was to go and have that frank conversation. Like, there's a great place for you in the world somewhere. And it just doesn't happen to be here, but there's a great place for you somewhere. Let's help you find that place.
1: I'm glad you actually mentioned the clients. That can sometimes be people's biggest scare. They oh, look yeah. at it and they go, "Oh, oh but I don't want to." But that's a client, you know. Again, it's it's like having a bull as a pet in your house. You wouldn't do it. You've got to change your perspective that this person, whether they're paying you money or taking money from you, they are sapping stuff away from you and making you less of you. So you've got it. You've got to prune the clients. In fact, probably if anything, clients may be the first people you've got to look at.
0: Yeah, and, and always, you know, there, there's that challenge of, hey, I'm, I'm going to lose some money here, but I'll tell you what we've found over the years is as we pruned them, it creates so much space for really great clients to come in.
1: Absolutely. You are so correct. You are absolutely 100%. You'll find a dip in your finances for the first month or two, and then all of a sudden your energy is so much back up to grade A that you find other people wanting to be part of it, and they're addicted to it, and all of a sudden you can go, hey, you can actually go back to your clients and go, hey, I've got some fantastic news for you. We just let two of our clients go. we got space for two more clients. So here's the deal. If you like what I do and how I work with you, would you like to introduce me to some people that could potentially fill those spots?
0: Well, the interesting thing we've observed uh, is when, when you make it known to the other clients that, You've let some go, the ones that stay, the ones that passed past muster, so to speak, and are still there. Um, there, they now have a different relationship with you, oh, yeah. and they don't want to get fired, and they now will behave and and be really really great clients. And it's not that you're trying to belittle or you know or, or position yourself above, but. For them to get value and for you to deliver that value over the long term, I th- you've got to have this sort of relationship where everybody's winning all the time and feeling good about the way that it happens. And uh, and, and I think it helps foster that by letting them know that not everybody gets to stick around forever. Yeah, they, they will value it. You're building up value. You're actually telling people that
1: you're not there to be trampled on and you're also quite simply establishing by showing it clearly that you value them so much as clients, you harvest the bad ones out, you clean up.
0: I I think, you know, Steve, we could go on probably all day um, (laughs) on on these topics. I I get that sense. Uh, You're very passionate about it. I'm very passionate about this stuff as well. But um, I know your times value, you probably have a Wedding on Mars to plan uh, or something. <laughs> so um, I want to I let people know where they can go find more uh, from you and and find the book, most importantly, um, because I think that'll have an immediate impact on them. Where, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Well, I've got a website called stevedsims.com. That's S-I-M-S. Um, that's got all the links on there um, for where you can grab the book. Or quite simply, you can just head over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, It's called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Um, And, of course, thebluefish.com is our concierge. And tasteofblue.com is for those people that don't maybe need a bespoke suit but do want more interesting cocktail stories.
0: That's great. We will be sure to link all of those places up uh, here in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, head on over to uh, theunstoppableceo.net and you'll find all of those links as well. Um, again, the book's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the, the booksellers. Steve, thanks so much for being here. This has been a lot of fun and uh, been a real pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate
1: it. Thanks for your time and energy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward iTunes.